0: Welcome everyone, so good to have all of you at all of our churches today, Blountstown, Chipley, and Marianna. Man, it is so good to have you celebrating Easter with us. And if today is your first time at any of our churches, or maybe the first time back in a while, man, we are so honored that you would join us for this Easter celebration. Thanks so much for being with us today. Now here's the thing, if you're with us at one of our churches and you don't really consider yourself a Christ follower and um, you just like have a lot of questions about this whole Jesus thing, it may seem a little ridiculous to you that rational human beings would absolutely believe that a man came back to life after three days in a tomb. But here's the thing, we believe that. And because we believe that, we're going to talk about one of the many reasons today why we believe that. But first, let me explain why it matters so much that Jesus rose from the dead. Here is why Easter is such a big deal. And that is this. The Christian faith hinges entirely on the resurrection. Don't miss that. The Christian faith hinges entirely on the resurrection. See, here's the thing. If you can disprove or if you can discredit the resurrection occurred, then you disprove and you discredit all of Christianity. The resurrection is that important. In fact, the apostle Paul, he said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14, he says, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. So here's the thing I want you to understand this morning. And that is this. The resurrection isn't part of Christianity. The resurrection is everything. It is the foundation. If you remove it, everything falls apart about Christianity. If the resurrection is not true, none of the rest of Christianity matters. So if you're with us today and you feel like, well, I don't know that I believe in this resurrection thing. I'm sure that you feel that you probably have some valid reasons for not believing that. But part of one of the reasons that maybe you don't believe in the resurrection is this, is because it seems unbelievable. And you're right. It is unbelievable. I mean, how many of you at any of our churches today, how many of you have ever seen a person walk out of their grave? None of us. None of us have. So you can't imagine why otherwise rational, intelligent human beings would somehow believe something that seems so unbelievable. And then for some of you to make matters worse and more complicated, you decide to ask some Christ followers what they or why they believe something that seems so unbelievable. And their answer really did not help relieve any of your attention at all because they didn't really have a good answer other than maybe something basically like, Well, the Bible says so. Now, now here's the thing. Just so you know, we don't believe that Jesus is alive just because the Bible says so. See, you have to understand, the Bible is a collection, or you could say it's a library of historical documents that were written by figures who nobody denies that they existed. See, See, the truth is, we all believe things that we have not seen for ourselves. Think about that. We all believe things that we've not seen for ourselves. You know what we call that? We call that history. I mean, nobody argues that Julius Caesar or Leonardo da Vinci or George Washington, that they existed because we have eyewitnesses and we have artifacts that tell us who they were and what they did. So we, we believe in historical figures. And please hear me on this. We believe in the resurrection of Jesus, not just because it's a great story, not just because we read it in the Bible, but because of the overwhelming evidence that supports that this unbelievable event is historically undeniable. See, the resurrection was an event accomplished by a person. It was witnessed by numerous people, and it is recorded in history. And that's why, even though I'll be the first one to agree with all of you, that it seems unbelievable for a dead man to walk out of a tomb three days after that he was buried in that tomb, I still believe it because of the overwhelming evidence for and the eyewitness accounts of the resurrection. They are just absolutely undeniable. So today what I'm going to do is i want to tell you about one of those pieces of evidence that makes the resurrection undeniable, but also it makes it personal. So if you're a Christ follower with us at any of our churches, I want you to lean into this because you need to understand the evidence for why you believe what you believe. And if you're not a Christ follower, you're kind of skeptic or you're just not sure what's true and and what's not true, I encourage you to hear me out because you really owe it to yourself to carefully and openly examine the evidence for and against the resurrection. Because here's the thing. What you believe about the resurrection, it determines what you believe about Jesus. Let me say that one more time. What you believe about the resurrection, it determines what you believe about Jesus. And that's just too an important decision to decide without looking at all the evidence. So today, the piece of evidence that we want to show you, it centers around a man. A man by the name of Peter. Now, if you're not familiar with his story, Peter was born into a Jewish fisherman's family, and in his teenage years, he began to learn the family business. And everything was going along to plan until one day he met this rabbi that was named Jesus. And this rabbi named Jesus, he invited Peter to travel with him and learn from him. And Peter literally left his boat, he left his nets, and he left his parents' business that was gonna become his to follow Jesus. And so for the next three years, he was part of, and in many ways, he was an influencer in this group of 12 guys who we now know or refer to as the apostles. So here's what I want you to do. Go from that point, and now Peter's been following for three years, to the night that Jesus is arrested. Jesus is having dinner with these guys that we now call the apostles. And during that dinner, which we know of as the Last Supper, during that event, he announces his impending death and his resurrection. Don't miss that. See, Jesus announced that at that dinner. Jesus was not surprised by what happened to him. He knew it was coming. He talked about it several times before it happened. But on this night, he tells his disciples it's imminent. And then Matthew, one of these disciples who was there, he recorded this for us. He witnessed it all based upon what he experienced. He tells us that after Jesus talks about dying, imagine this, Peter speaks up. In fact, look how Matthew shares this account. If you want to follow along your Bibles, Matthew chapter 26, we're going to begin in verse 31, or you can follow along on the screen. Here's what he says. Then Jesus told them, this very night, you will fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Now, before we get into this text, I want you to remember something. Just a minute ago, I said, what you believe about the resurrection, it determines what you believe about Jesus. This means if you don't believe in the resurrection, you can't believe that Jesus is a good teacher or a moral person. And here's why. Good moral people don't claim they're God if they're not. Good moral people don't predict that they're going to rise from the dead to prove that they're God, and then they don't do that. So here's the thing. If the resurrection doesn't happen as Jesus predicts, then Jesus was either delusional or a liar who intentionally deceived his followers. Those are your only two options if the resurrection didn't happen. See, if the resurrection isn't true, then you shouldn't admire or you shouldn't listen to Jesus. Literally, if the resurrection isn't true, you should disdain Jesus for being delusional or a liar who tried to deceive his followers. See, there's no in-between with Jesus. Either Jesus is our resurrected savior or he is a liar. He is either worthy of fully surrendering to, for surrendering our lives to, or he is someone that we should ignore completely. Well, here's the thing Peter hears Jesus making this prediction, and here's what he says in the next verse. Peter replied to Jesus, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Peter goes, Wait just a minute, Jesus, you're so wrong. These other 11 guys, they may run and hide. They may fall away. They may abandon you, but I'm not gonna abandon you. I'm gonna be loyal to you to the very end. Notice what happens next. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered. Talking to Peter, he says, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Jesus says, Peter, You're not as brave and you're not as strong as you think you are. And I'm warning you that tonight, it's not going to end well for you. You're going to do more than just disappoint me. You are going to disown me three times. Notice what happens next, Peter's response. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. And of course, they all said the same because what else you're going to do? go, well, Jesus, I might disown you because it depends on how rough tonight gets, you know? <laughs> I mean, nobody's going to say that to their friends, but this is what they did. They all abandoned Jesus. They didn't keep their word. So think about this. Not all long after this conversation happened, Jesus is then betrayed by Judas Iscariot. He's arrested and he's led back to Jerusalem where he's brought to the home of Caiaphas, the high priest. Now, Caiaphas, the high priest, he was the most powerful religious leader in the nation. And we don't have time to go into why Caiaphas and his team wanted Jesus dead, but bottom line, it was just corruption and politics at its worst. And Matthew tells us that Peter, don't miss this, Peter began to follow at a distance to see what would happen with Jesus. And here's what happens. He ends up with a group of people in the outer court of Caiaphas' home. And here's what happens to him next. Look at verse 69 of chapter 26. Now, Peter was sitting sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. Literally, I recognize you. Aren't you one of his disciples? But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Now, why would he say that? I don't know what you're talking about. Why would he say that? Because like most of us would have been, he was scared for his life. Notice what happens next. Then he went out to the gateway. So he moves a little further from the house and closer to the exit. And I want you to know the danger that happens in all of our lives when we start moving further and further away, even though we say we're following Jesus. Notice what happens. Where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, "Surely, you are one of those, uh, one of them. Your accent gives you away. You're from the panhandle of Florida. You got an accent, right?" <laughs> then he began to call down curses and he swore to them, "I don't know the man." And notice what happens next. Immediately, a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now, let me ask you a question. Is Peter acting like a guy who believes that Jesus is going to come back from the dead in three days? Is he acting like a guy who's confident that Jesus is who he said that he was? And you all know the answer. Answer is no. No he's acting like a guy who feels like everything's falling apart and he better save his own life and so you can imagine running out of that compound weeping bitterly it probably had to be one of the loneliest and the lowest days of peter's life and here's the thing sometimes church people can be a little hard on people for doing this but i think if we're all honest we can all relate can't we I mean, we've all had that moment when we abandoned God or we hurt somebody or we disappointed ourselves and we felt such enormous guilt and shame. Remember what that felt like? I mean, remember what it was like when you were so disappointed in yourself and how you had hurt someone that you felt like you would never recover or restore that relationship? I mean, it's just such a hopeless feeling, isn't it? And that's the feeling that Peter has here. And so Peter, he disappears with his guilt and his shame of abandoning his best friend, Jesus, who he spoke up and said, I will never deny you. I will never abandon you. While that's happening to Peter over here in his solitude and loneliness, Jesus then is taken before Pilate and he's beaten and he scores and he's eventually, eventually crucified on a Roman cross by a Roman squad of five trained executioners. And then after Jesus dies two Pharisees who have been secretly following or believing in Jesus their names were Nicodemus and Joseph they get permission from Pilate to take Jesus body and place it in Joseph's garden tomb near the crucifixion site and i want you to think about something none of his disciples step forward to bury him but they're nowhere to be found They've all abandoned him. They feel like everything is lost. So the tomb then is is sealed. The disciples are hiding out and hope seems lost. And then three days later, some women who were also followers of Jesus, they show up at Jesus' tomb. Why, Why did they show up? Because they were expecting him to walk out? Not at all. I mean, there's nobody planning a welcome back from the dead party for Jesus. His friends aren't outside the tomb waiting for him to walk out. There's none of that. They're not holding any kind of banners or signs or anything. See, resurrection is not on their radar. These women, they show up because they knew that two men hurriedly buried the body of Jesus in the tomb. And so they're pretty sure those two men didn't get it right. So they come to put spices and make sure Jesus is embalmed correctly. Only thing that happens is when they get there, they find this stone rolled away away, and his burial wrap was folded neatly inside of the tomb. And then they see a couple of angels that show up to clear up their confusion and tell them, hey, Jesus is alive. And then the angels give them these instructions. And we find these instructions in Mark 16. And I want you to understand something. Mark also wrote the account of Jesus' life, but it was narrated by Peter. Notice what Peter says, because Mark is writing the words of Peter here. But go tell his disciples And Peter, don't forget this line. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. These angels look at these ladies and say, hey, you know all those guys who said they were followers of Jesus, who abandoned Jesus? Well, we want you to go tell them all that Jesus is alive and that he'll see them soon. Just like he said. And oh, by the way, make sure you tell Peter. Because we know what he did. So make sure Peter knows that Jesus rose from the dead. Now here's the thing. If you think the resurrection story was just made up to fool people, this is not how you would write it. There's several reasons. One, in the first century, the testimony of women had so little credibility that you could not be convicted of a criminal activity based upon a woman's testimony. And I know that's ridiculous, and I know that's wrong, but that's how it was in the first century. So if you're making up some kind of legend about a dead man coming back from life, to life, you wouldn't tell people a group of women were the first to see the empty tomb to tell people that Jesus was alive. But that's the way it was. So that's how they told it. That's how it happened. So the women, they run back to find the disciples hiding, and they give them this message. But here's the thing. They're the messengers, but the people receiving the message, they don't take it too well. Here's what Luke, who also wrote an account of Jesus' life in Luke chapter 24, here's how he says they received it. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Because in their mind, nobody comes back from the dead. And here's the other thing. If these guys made up this story, would they have made themselves look this bad? No, no, no. They're just again telling what happened. Now, here's the other thing you have to remember about this. Peter's in the room and he hears all this, but he doesn't believe it. But he had to get up and go see for himself. Notice this next part. Peter, however, got up and he ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Now, just to clarify, one other account that tells a story says that John went with Peter. And when John saw the empty tomb, he believed that Jesus was alive, but not Peter. No, Peter went away wondering to himself what happened. And that's amazing. I mean, Peter's just too much of a skeptic to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Peter's not going to get his hopes up. Peter's thinking, man, there's got to be a better explanation. That's why he went away wondering what happened. And here's the thing. Peter doesn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead until a few days later when he sees Jesus with his own eyes. And when he comes face to face with the one that he denied. Now, here's why that's so important for us to know. Over the course of the next few weeks, not only did Peter see Jesus and the other disciples, but there were at least 10 different recorded appearances where Jesus showed up to people. He was seen after his resurrection by over 500 people. Listen, that many eyewitnesses would make the unbelievable undenial. But here's the thing. During that time, here's why I believe that Peter had Mark write down the phrase and make sure you tell Peter. Because see, during that time, there was a special meeting that happened between Peter and Jesus. And that happened on the beach by Peter's fishing boat. See, when Jesus died, Peter just went back to fishing. But Peter comes in from fishing or they see is Jesus on the beach and they come in and Jesus has cooked breakfast for Peter and the people that were with him. And they talked about Peter's failures. They talked about his doubts. Most of all, his abandonment of Jesus and his denial. But Jesus lets Peter know that morning that not only is he forgiven, but God's got big plans for Peter. Peter. So here's the thing. I want you to fast forward now 40 days from that point. Jesus returns to heaven. And about 120 of Jesus' followers are now gathering in Jerusalem where the first church is birthed. And that movement begins to take place in that moment, this movement called the church. And guess who the preacher was that day? It was Peter. Peter. The same Peter who denied Jesus is now declaring him in front of thousands of people. In fact, here's part of his sermon that we find in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. It says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God, what did God do? God raised him up from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. I love that statement. Absolutely. And you know what Peter is saying? He's saying, listen, I saw him die and so did many of you. We know he should be in that tomb right now, but death could not keep its hold on him because it was impossible for death to hold him down. Death met its match. Jesus walked out of that tomb and death was forever arrested by one with greater power. And Peter's saying, Jesus is alive. And if that were not true, that would have been discredited in that moment in time. And then a few verses later, he says this, In verse 32, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Specifically, over 500 of us are all witnesses. And Peter's saying, I know that seems unbelievable. I know there's nothing in our Judaism or other religions that claim that a dead man walks back out of a tomb on his own. He says, we saw it. We ate with him. We talked with him. We traveled with him. We walked the beach with him. It seems unbelievable, but it is undeniable, and we are all witnesses of it. Now, here's the interesting thing. Just a few days after this, Peter finds himself arrested along with John because he won't stop talking about Jesus. And he's standing in front of the same men who had Jesus killed, Caiaphas the high priest and his team of leaders. And they threaten to kill him if he doesn't shut up about Jesus coming back to life. And this guy who denied and ran a few weeks before, he abandoned Jesus. He looked at these men in the face. He says, listen, you can take my life But I cannot shut up about Jesus' resurrection. In fact, here's what he says in Acts chapter 4. He says, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Now, notice that Peter didn't say he couldn't stop talking about what he believed. Because this was not about a belief system. This is about what he had seen and what he had heard and experienced. And he couldn't stop talking about it, even if it was going to cost him his life. And here's my question to you. How else do you explain the courage of a man who, had, who was such a coward weeks ago before except that he saw and he heard something. He saw a dead man walking. There is no other explain, explanation for his courage except the resurrection. And Peter spent the rest of his life telling people what he had seen and what he had heard. So here's my question to you this morning. What do you believe about Jesus? This is the most important question you'll ever answer in your life. What do you believe about Jesus? Has there ever been a moment in your life where you put your complete trust in Jesus' death and resurrection? And as a result of that belief, you received Jesus' forgiveness for your sin and became part of God's family because when you receive his forgiveness, he adopts you as his child. Has there ever been that moment when you humbled yourself enough to acknowledge that you need God's grace to wipe away all your guilt and all your shame? Now, some of you are sitting there maybe thinking, well, I I can't do that because I still have too many questions about God and the Bible. Listen, your questions are very valid and and you should get them answered. We'd We'd be glad to help you with that. But Christianity, your faith in Jesus, it doesn't hinge on all your questions about God and the Bible your faith in Jesus, it hinges on the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And there is plenty of other evidence to support even more than what we just talked about, that Jesus rose from the grave. So the big question is, what is keeping you from believing in and surrendering your life completely to follow Jesus as your resurrected Savior? Peter writing to Christ's followers in his letter later on, he said it best, I think in 1 Peter chapter 1, Verse three, he says, praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So you know what Peter's saying? He's saying, no matter who you are or what you've done, there is hope for you because Jesus is alive. No matter how often we disappoint or deny God, there is hope for us because Jesus is alive. No matter how great your failures are in your life, there is hope for you because Jesus is alive. And you can believe that is true because Matthew and John and James and Nathaniel and the Apostle Paul and hundreds of other people saw him die and then they saw him alive. See, you can believe that's true because Peter, of all people, he saw and he believed. And it's the only explanation for the change that he experienced in his life. And here's the thing I want to say to all of you. If Jesus could use Peter who abandoned him and denied him in his darkest moment. God can use you. Now, in just a moment, we're gonna end with one more song. And I love the lyrics of this song because they're so personal. In fact, these lyrics are the story of Peter, but they're also our story. Notice some of these lyrics. Man of sorrow, Lamb of God, by his own betrayed. That's you and that's me. We've all betrayed him in some way. The sin of man and wrath of God has been on Jesus laid, sin of heaven, God's own son to purchase and redeem and reconcile the very ones who nailed him to that tree. Again, that's you and that's me. We've all betrayed Jesus. We all nailed him to the tree by sinning against him and sinning against others. And whether you sinned one time in your life or whether you sinned a million times, Jesus had to go to the cross to pay the price of your sin. But the good news is there is hope, as Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And it begins the moment that you put your faith in Jesus' death and resurrection to bring you into a right, right standing with God. So the big question I have for you this morning is, Will you accept his forgiveness that he offers through Jesus? In fact, before we sing, I want to give any of you who've never said, Jesus, I believe in your death and your resurrection. Therefore, you're my savior. I want to give you an opportunity like Peter to believe and receive Jesus as your living hope. And if you're with us today at any of our churches and you are a follower of Jesus, or maybe you've done like Peter, you've drifted away from Jesus. And God is no, more, no longer first and foremost. You've moved to the courtyard and the gateway and, and, and you randomly have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe today is the day you say, Jesus, you gave it all for me. I'm gonna give all of my life back to you. So if you've admitted to God that you are a sinner in need of a savior and you've committed to follow him and you've received his gift of grace and mercy, as the band leads us in this next song, sometime during the song, I want you to take the communion cup that's in front of you. Take it out of the pocket in front of you and you'll pull back the first layer of plastic and there's a little wafer of bread. And that bread is symbolic of the sacrifice that Jesus went through, his broken body on the cross to pay the price of your sin. And then pull back the next layer of the plastic and drink the juice because that juice represents Jesus' blood that was shed to wash away all your sin. And again, if you're with us today, you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I wanna lead you in a prayer of repentance and acceptance of Jesus' forgiveness and his grace. And then you too, after you receive Jesus as your Savior in this prayer, feel free to join us in taking communion as your first act of declaring to those around you that you're a follower of Jesus. So would all of you at all of our churches bow your heads in prayer. If you've never received Jesus, just pray this in your heart. Say, Jesus, today... I believe, I still have questions about some things about the Bible, about God, but I understand that the foundation of my faith is the resurrection. And today I believe that you died and you rose again and that you paid the price on the cross for my sin. You took God's wrath and God's anger towards sin on yourself. So you're not angry at me and you don't wanna punish me. You want to embrace me as your child. So the day I come home, coming home to you as my father, thank you for your forgiveness for all of my sin, past, present, and future. The day I begin the process by taking communion with the rest of your family, that I'm going to follow you. I'm declaring that today. Thank you, God, for all who are making that step. For those of us who have made that step, help us to not be like Peter and follow at a distance, but may today the reminder of what you paid for us and the victory that you won for us on the cross be the reminder that we we need to follow close to Jesus. Forgive us for our sin of abandoning you and following you at a distance. Now receive. That is a confession and repentance from us. But thank you for your grace and forgiveness in this moment as we celebrate through communion. In Jesus' name, amen. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the incredible miracle that we celebrate today. But it's not just the miracle of your resurrection, but it's also the miracle of our adoption into your family. May we all leave this place being fully committed to live fully surrendered because of the price that you paid for us. May our lives be a celebration of your resurrection as we live surrendered fully to you loving others as you've loved us. We thank you for this in Jesus'
1: name. Amen. Hey, have a great day celebrating our resurrected Savior. We'll see you.